the price of a life. What's your life? What's anybody's life worth? 30 pieces of silver? So back in November, I preached a sermon in which I showed pictures of the inscriptions on tombstones in a World War I cemetery in Belgium. And the inscriptions were poignant, these remembrances and these deeply felt losses. But a common inscription was known unto God uh, because the, the soldier couldn't be identified. It was an unknown soldier known only unto God. And that was the title of the sermon, that after a couple of generations, we're all known only unto God. And that, that, that's, that's more than enough. Um, God is love and to be known unto the essence of love. Uh, really, what more could you ask than that? After I gave the sermon, though, one of you uh, loaned me a book to read that was entitled 11th Hour, 11th Day, 11th Month. I think a lot of you who are into history would recognize that as the, the, the date and the hour in which the World War I armistice, armistice took place in 1918. But the, the important phrase there is it took effect at the 11th hour on November 11th, 1918. The armistice itself was actually signed after all night negotiations at 5 a.m. that morning. And then a six hour period was left so that the, the armies could be notified that, that peace was at hand. The thing about the armistice is it was, it was extremely detailed and spelled out exactly where the demarcations between the armies and where the future borders of the countries would be. In other words, as of 5 a.m. that morning, there was absolutely nothing left to fight for. If you kept fighting and seized more ground than was allotted to you, you'd have to give it back. And if you kept fighting and you didn't capture enough land, it wouldn't matter because it would be given to you on the basis of the treaty. So what do you think happened between 5 a.m. and 11 a.m.? I mean, actually, different things happened. Uh, on the Western Front for the Allied forces, so the French, the British, and the Americans, uh, it, it was divided into 13 sectors with 13 different commanders, six of whom took uh, the orders of the day to mean that there was nothing left to fight for, and so they didn't, and all of their men uh, survived that day. But, but seven of the generals involved determined that it meant continue pursuing and, and pressing the war as before and to fight right up until 11 a.m. And as a result, how many people do you think were killed or wounded that day, the day that the war had already been decided? Almost 12,000 uh, people were killed or wounded that day on, on all sides. As a point of comparison, to write, the writer of the book pointed out that on D-Day, June 6, 1944, in World War II, 10,000 people were killed or wounded on all sides. And as he somewhat ironically pointed out, at least they had something to fight for. The Germans were defending what they had already captured. The Allies were trying to recapture Western Europe. Uh, there was something to fight for. Uh, and on 11-11-1918, it was all decided at some level there was nothing to fight for. What's the price of a life? Uh, the ego of an army commander or the misunderstanding of a communication that no one took the time to clarify, something that some people understood in one way and one the other. Uh, all of those lives lost. 
uh, really for no reason at all. What's the price of a life? I think we as, as a country, in many respects, have really good instincts on this. I, I think when you think of our country and when someone who is sick or hurting or a community is struck by a disaster of some sort, I mean, we as a culture time and time again have demonstrated that, that we just, we're all in. Like, we will spare no expense uh, to help someone in their time of need. And though we uh, frequently don't live fully into that vision, we do so often enough over a long enough period of time that, that I, I think as a, as a people and a culture, we are intimately aware of the, the amazing value of each and every human life. And, and, and yet maybe we aren't, right? Um, yet another school shooting this past week uh, six more people dead. I know we have a Second Amendment in our country, and that's a political issue, but a faith issue, there's, there's not that much to talk about on it. In other words, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane this week, we're going to have the story of, of Peter draws the sword and cuts off the high priest's slave's ear, and Jesus says, put it away. You know, I, I don't need that. My people don't need that. Because violence diminishes us, violence cheapens human life, love is the power that makes us strong, and, and we disrespect love anytime we somehow convince ourselves that our weapons or our assault weapons are, are going to keep us safer, there, or, you know, selflessly, we're going to use them to keep somebody else safe. Um, it, it doesn't work that way, it doesn't work that way, not, not even close at some level. And then adding more weapons, you know, is just going to further move us away from Jesus was trying to teach us that night in the garden. Um, today's scripture readings, um, they're so personal. And, and I think that's, that's what we sometimes miss. Uh, we think of these big crowds greeting Jesus on Palm Sunday, and, and they probably were fairly large crowds, and yet it was still a powerfully personal experience. And, and the reason I say that is not any special knowledge I have, but when you surmise the story based on what we know, it, it had to have been that way. Uh, Jesus starts on the Mount of Olives, is the description near Bethpage, uh, around Bethany. Uh, if, uh, you know, in our mind's eye, we imagine a mountain and Jerusalem in, in some distant place, this long journey. But, but that's not how it is. I mean, the Mount of Olives is like a hill, and you can look from Bethany down into the old city of Jerusalem. You can walk there in under a half hour. And so suddenly it's, it's actually a very small space. And, and Jesus was greeted by these cheering crowds, which would have to have been one of two groups of people. Either it was locals who lived there, they, at some level in that world, were kind of the expendables because if they lived outside, now, like in our world, if you live in the suburbs, like that's like, you know, that's the, the safe and kind of rich place to live. In, in that world, if you lived outside the walls of the city, you, you didn't have the protection of the city. If some army came and invaded and, and you're outside the walls of the city, you're, you're kind of a, a goner. And, and so the people without means were there cheering Jesus on. And probably a bunch of pilgrims in town for Passover, many of them probably from Galilee were there as well. We know from Mark's gospel that, that it's almost certainly the first time Jesus' disciples are ever there. Most people live their whole lives around their one little community and maybe made one or two trips to Jerusalem their whole life. 
And, and so the pilgrims, many of whom maybe already had heard of Jesus, maybe had already heard him teach, they're there to cheer him on. The people on the outside of the, the walls of the city are there to cheer him on. And, and they put their clothing in front of him. They put their palm branches in front of them. Uh, it must have been amazing. Such a, a personal, intimate, huge event. And then there's the story of, of Judas. Uh, that's as personal as it gets. He sells Jesus out. He does it for 30 pieces of silver. And when he realizes what he's done is wrong, he commits suicide after throwing the 30 pieces of silver onto the, onto the steps of the temple. Peter does almost as bad a thing when he denies Jesus. Somehow he trusted that Jesus was still personally able to love him, wouldn't leave him. Judas, for whatever reason, couldn't trust that, didn't believe it. We'll never know why he did what he did. It had to have been personal in some way. Um, Jesus's love for him remained personal, even, even at the table that last night. Everything about the story is so very personal. Love makes life priceless. The various forms of violence that we do to each other, it, it just all diminishes life. You think of Jesus, I mean, this man of love. Well, I think in our culture, we then must say it, that he must have been weak in some way. I mean, just physically. He had to be a strong guy. I mean, he, he was on the road always in his ministry. He never had a consistent place to sleep. As he says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And that was true from the day he was born when his mom, Mary, uh, puts him in the manger. Uh, Jesus healed, he taught, he did it relentlessly and tirelessly. Uh, when he gets to the temple, he overturns the tables of the money changers. Those things weren't made of plastic. I'm sure they weighed a ton. But he was strong enough to do that, and he was strong enough at least part of the way to carry his own cross. And he carries the weights of yours and mine always in some way with him. He couldn't have been stronger. Love is an amazing force for good. Everything else stems in comparison. Everything else is impersonal. Love is so very personal. What's the price of a life? The cool thing about belonging to a congregation, um, the cool thing about this congregation <clears throat> is that we invest a lot in each other, a lot of love to try and notice each other, keep track of each other, pay attention to each other. You do that really well as a congregation. Not perfectly, but you do it really well. We do it really well. Um, and we do a lot beyond ourselves. There, I hope you listen to the podcast we put out uh, either one or two weeks after Easter. We recorded it uh, yesterday from when I'm recording this. And, and it was with uh, some of the staff at the Bread of Healing Free Clinic. And they, they were talking about how just kind of these, these miracles happen all the time. They had a patient who needed a particular uh, medicine and it was not available through the normal um, um, uh, medical procurement uh, programs that are available to a place like a free clinic. The only way they could get this drug was $11,000 a month. Nobody involved had $11,000 a month. And then one of the people at the clinic the very next day was kind of working her way through a, a directory of, of available services. And for whatever reason, that drug was available that day to a place like the Bread of Healing Clinic, and they got it for their person. 
and, and, and now the person's life is just different because they have this medicine. And it's kind of a miracle, but um, the timing is kind of a miracle, but what in a way isn't a miracle is that it means that, that somewhere, someplace, somebody put that drug on that list and somebody someplace uh, approved it so that it could go to a place like Bread of Healing. In other words, the Spirit of God does amazing things, but the Spirit of God also works through people like you and me, uh, people who are somewhere, someplace, who think about others, who think beyond themselves, who every once in a while take some risks of what's not perfect for their employer or what's not perfect maybe for their family situation, but it's the right thing to do. And they do it. And lives are saved. And love is shared. And lives are priceless. On this Holy Week that now lies ahead of us, um, we do well to take the journey to the cross. We do well to be aware of the fact that we are sinners who have devalued our own lives and those of others by the, the violence we do to each other. Um, emotional, uh, ignoring our ambivalence, and every once in a while, um, if not us, then, then maybe our, our tolerance of the violence of this world. And so we're all sinners. And we all end up, you know, at the base of the cross, um, wondering why he's there and, instead of us. Um, but, but that's what love does. It's so um, willing uh, to be in the place of somebody else. It's the embodiment of somewhere, somebody, someplace did the right thing. That's Jesus. And that's the gift of his spirit to you and I. So for this Holy Week, walk it with a sense of seriousness and purpose. You know Easter is coming. It will be the greatest of celebrations. But until we get there, spend a little time reflecting on the price of a life and, and be aware of Jesus's unique ability to, to recognize the intrinsic value of all of those lepers and the old woman who was bent over and the children who jumped into his lap and the Roman centurion who he didn't have to pay the time of day to but but whose servant he healed and the tax collectors who everybody hated and disrespected they most of all seemingly Jesus hung out with and ate together with his very actions day by day by day um, recorded the pricelessness of the lives of the people he encountered and strangers he didn't even know, of you and of me. You're worth everything. Jesus, Jesus, he, he knows that. Thanks be to God. Done.